Welcome to Toby Haydock's Who's Round. We're about to witness on TV a doctor regenerating. So let's go back to the first time that happened. The original, you might say. So um, I've come all the way to sunny York to uh, meet a man that was in a couple of episodes of Doctor Who 50 years ago this year. So I'm going to ask him to introduce himself and tell me why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Hello, I'm Glenn Beck, with two ends. Unfortunately, in Doctor Strangelove, it was only one end. <laughs> but anyway, I live in Vancouver at the moment, and uh, I've just done my... Uh, well, I did three jobs in 2015, and uh, one in 2014 called Go With Me, which is with Anthony Hopkins and Hal Holbrook. And that's coming out this year. It's, it's a feature, and uh, we, hope, we hope to see it this year because we have seen it in Vancouver, but uh, they showed it to cast and crew. They came over from Sweden specially to do that. Now, that's wow. nice. There was a Swedish director, and uh, he was... Well, I, could, I compared him to Stanley Kubrick because I worked with Stanley for a long time. <clears throat> Six weeks on Strange Love and a week or so on uh, 2001. And uh, Daniel Alfredson was, had the same, he, he, he insisted on the best. If you gave me your best, you were in, and that's what Stanley was like. <clears throat> and uh, so I, I felt, so good about doing it. I had a couple of days on the movie in, on location and uh, I just felt so good in his presence. He was a wonderful man and I think you, Toby, mentioned uh, the fact that sometimes you get you get another, you, you don't get enough uh, enough close-ups, put mm. it that way. Yeah. Well, I was, I was working with an actor who uh, had a shock of white hair and mine hasn't gone that way yet. And Daniel basically fell in love with this shot because, it's, because he, you know, it was all over the place, and, and you know, he, he couldn't. He kept going back to that. <laughs> but we all, we all had, we had a nice time on that. But uh, getting back to uh, Doctor Who, <laughs> the Tenth Planet was uh, in 1966. <clears throat> I had. Two parts. I played the TV 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 announcer and uh, also the silo technician on episode three. That was episode two and three out of four, and uh, it went so well. I, I mean, I had a lot to do as a television uh, announcer, but it was one of my things that I have done a number of times. One take and. Uh, so, at the end of the day, the director came to me, yeah, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, but, you know, you did so well and we did it so quickly that uh, we don't need you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but we're sending you to the BBC uh, sound, sound Lab. I, I don't know if that still exists, but they used to have a, a whole sound lab. Yeah, yeah, sadly that's... And that is why I got the silo technician 
voice only. Yeah, so yeah, they basically wanted authentic voices the following week, yeah. and they thought, well, this guy is good, so let's... let's... Well, I gave them, I gave them uh, some of my dialects. I, you know, I do, I do a good Russian and, uh, and a good Australian and various, various others. And so I gave them whatever they, you know, whatever they liked and uh, had a nice day there as well because it's very interesting idea that the BBC, BBC had in those days of having a sound laboratory <laughs> mm. or laboratory, whichever you like. <laughs> Both are correct, depending on where you are at the time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, have been coming over a couple of years ago. I, I, I did some autograph signing uh, and I've just finished one now. And uh, Paul... I don't know Paul. Oh, Paul Ballard. Ballard, yeah. because it's Paul at Phantom Films. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Paul is, uh, you know, we, we've got to know each other. <laughs> yes, he's a lovely fellow. I've done, I've done three or four of them, and uh, it was fun. It's, it's always fun, because they're lined up. And and I was in a... I was sitting there the, the other day, uh, and this man came and plunged a photograph in front of me, the champions. And, you know, it, beautiful photograph and everything, and a wonderful, I'd forgotten it. Well, of course one does forget entirely what you've done. I've done, I've got 39 things on IMDB, and, uh, you know, I haven't seen, I haven't seen this. You've never seen the Tenth Planet? No. Oh. No. Oh, it's a, it's a nice scene for you. It's just, just you in shot. Yeah. Uh, nice couple of monologues. <laughs> and you, you, you announce the arrival of the Tenth Planet. I mean, Exactly. And it was, it was also the beginning of the Cybermen, That's the so end of the Daleks. Well, they came back, but the end of the Daleks, beginning of the Cybermen. And William Hartnell's last story as well. His very last story, and Patrick Troughton took over. Yeah. And I didn't meet either of them because they were in other episodes. <laughs> and you were, yeah, because it must have been quite a lonely job, actually. It was just, just you on a set on your own. Well, no, but it, it was. But funnily enough, well, as you know, as an actor, <clears throat> You do a job and you're all buddy-buddy and even for six months I've done five West End plays and, and you know, you go six months and then you all hug and oh, we must get, and you don't get together. Well, this was entirely different because Mick Goff was in it, Michael Goff. Ah. And uh, I, mentioned, I mentioned this uh, the, at the last autograph signing. I said, Mick and Annika Wills, was his lady, you know, yeah. and she said, thank God. She said, because he's not Michael Goff to me or anybody else, he's Mick. Ah, uh, yes. Well, he threw a party for us after after shooting. Oh, really? Yeah, and this is rare, you, you know, but it, particularly in television, because you've done the job, you have drink in the BBC, <laughs> and you go. But <laughs> he threw a wonderful party and that, that was the end of that, but, you know, we at least connected yeah, as a yeah. company, as a That's company. Nice. I mean, That's because he was married to Annika, so yeah. you had the party at his... At his and party. I missed her the other day. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's Because she's, she's an absolute delight. But she was so pleased at the last time, she said, Oh, my God, you said Nick. Wonderful. <laughs> Proof that you knew him properly. <laughs> oh, exactly. Well, she knew anyway, because she, she, she was, you know, at the party and all that sort of stuff. But, Anyway, that that's a nice a nice thing to remember about the yeah. Dance Planet. 
being now that it's it's just on and on and on. But the first, uh, you know, the first change, hard notes of Troughton, I, I'm, as I say, I haven't seen it, so I don't know how they've done it, but they've done it ever, they've done a, a, a way ever since, you know. Yeah. Uh, of, uh, of, of transferring. <laughs> kind of human transference. <laughs> yes, yes. If, if they hadn't come up with that idea on the 10th planet, we probably wouldn't be watching Doctor Who now. So. Of course not. No. Well, tell me about you then, Greg. You know, we, we find Claire, we, we, we find you at the BBC in 1966 doing the 10th planet, but you're a Canadian-born actor. So what? how had you got to... Well, one, what was it that made you decide to be an actor? And two, how come you were applying your trade in the UK? <clears throat> well... I was 12 years old, and my my parents took me to a show, a kids' show, it was all children. And I can remember walking out onto the pavement after it, and they were talking to some people. And I'd wanted to be a farmer before that, but no. At the age of 12 years old, I decided I wanted to be an actor. And I was a very shy person, still am in a way, but, but you know, I, I didn't put myself out, and, and I still don't enough, but, but um, that's what I decided. And the next year, I was in that kid line. <laughs> and it was, it was basically, I suppose you'd call it professional, because we got paid, you know. It, I, they, they did a big charity thing for one week in Vancouver, and then, then we went out on the road, you know. I'm, I'm, 40, 50, 40, 50 uh, performances during the year, and uh, we got a dollar each, and it's, that's that's uh, probably 150 dollars now. <laughs> and uh, that's that's what it, that's when I decided. And so things things were not uh, there wasn't a lot of work in Vancouver to begin with. I managed to get my my ACTRA ticket, which is, excuse me, <laughs> excuse me, film and television. So I, you had to do six, six, six shows, and the producers, we, we, we worked in an abandoned garage, actually, that was the television station. <laughs> <laughs> it's now a great, huge place, and they don't do anything in them, <laughs> except the news. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> um, I got all, all my, my tickets and everything, and I went out on tour for uh, three months with, with, a, with a, a children's show. And uh, there, there just wasn't a lot, lot going on, so I was lucky enough to get a dealer meeting show for Esso, Imperial Oil. And uh, in fact, I was rehearsing for another play at the time when the call came through from would you like to do it? Now, what's the money? It was so great I had to sit down. I, 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 I couldn't believe <laughs> there was that kind of money involved. So that's, so I, you know, I went two years out with that, six weeks, six weeks around BC and Alberta. And uh, then I thought, I'm moist, I'm, uh, you know, I wanted to go to England anyway. I didn't want to go to the States. Well, I couldn't anyway, because you, you couldn't get into the States as an actor at that time. <clears throat> so uh, <clears throat> I just decided I'm going to England. And 
My parents drove me to, to uh, Seattle because I wanted to get a bus across the states to uh, my aunt and uncle were somewhere in any. So I bussed all the way across the states, and I got to uh, got to. I was on my way to Montreal on a bus and just talking to this guy, and he said, because I hadn't made any plans. <laughs> so he said, I'm going on Holland America out of Montreal. Why don't you come along? And I said, well, I really want to see New York. He said, well, come to the office anyway. And thank God I did, because I couldn't have gotten into the States <clears throat> to go to New York, to, to go to London that way without a ticket. Well, I didn't buy the ticket, but I, I reserved the ticket in New York. So that worked out. I had eight days in, in New York, seeing all the major, major shows. <clears throat> Raisin in the Sun, some wonderful stuff. Antony Newley was there, and you know, you know. And um, so I got on the boat and went to went to London. And <clears throat> it was uh, six weeks, I think, before I started looking. For, you know, it couldn't have been that long. Anyway, I started looking for uh, work and went to a, an agent who took anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, almost and. And she became a very good agent later on, which uh, I wasn't with her, but uh, she uh, said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I play a little honky-tonk piano apart from you. He said, hold the line, got on the phone. He said, can you be out to uh, out at uh, Elstree, you know, this afternoon? I said, mm-hmm, sure. Just show me how to get there, what to do. And uh, so I went out to Elstree and there was, Harry Fine was the, uh, the man. He cast me in a number of things, but he said, well, we find a piano. So we climbed over a bunch of furniture and he said, play something. So I, 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 I just launched into some something and he said, you're hired. Get here at six o'clock tomorrow morning. Wow. <laughs> so the day, after I, uh, the day after I started looking for work, I got work. Employed within a day. That's pretty, that's pretty good going. <laughs> It was a piano playing a party scene, and they were a little naughty in a way because, you know, the whole thing, you know, because they were on gantries, because uh, it was an ongoing show, and uh, that was my first danger man. <laughs> ah, okay. And they, uh, you know, they quieted everybody down, so a hundred people stopped work. And there was I. <laughs> and they said, we want you to play something that nobody's ever heard before. Put it that way. In other words, compose something. <laughs> yeah, so we don't have to pay royalties on. So, yes, so I, so I did, you know, a thin little melody and bridge, back to the melody. <laughs> and, you know, got through it and that was fine and and uh, Harry then got me two other danger mans the second one was uh, an intern at the at uh, Bellevue and cocaine and all that stuff and the next one he said I don't know if you're interested in this but because there's only a couple of lines but uh, you've got five days work if you want with, with Pat you know and I, I, again another incredible man what sort, of, what sort of character was he? Because he, uh, he was. Oh, lovely. Well, <laughs> do you know Danger Man at all? Yes, yes, yes. I know. Well, he was a wonderful. In fact, a, a good story. We were, as the intern, 
we did some stuff on the, you know, at emergency and all that sort of stuff. And then there was a scene in his office, and they were, they were lining up the shot behind me. And he said, what in hell are you doing? Oh, we're just setting up. He said, do you know the script? Have you read the script? He is talking to me about what happened. So what the f are you doing? <laughs> shooting, shooting, from, shooting, be like they weren't going to do a reverse even. Oh, so it would have been over your shoulder. Yeah, he said, and so they, they scurried around and, you know, and put it there. I mean, he, he made my part, you know, he, and Kenneth Moore did the same. <laughs> really? Yeah, that was, uh, that was on a thing called the White Rabbit. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did the read through and I had a, I was playing a Canadian Belson. He is actually a natural person. Lieutenant McAllister, and uh, Derek Bond later wrote it uh, and insisted I play it on radio, because I did an enormous amount of radio. And uh, anyway, the White Rabbit, as I said, we did the read through and the, the, the cuts came through the following day. They cut all my lines. Every line I had was in, in the cuts. I was, you know, absolutely drained mm. so we start a rehearsal and and kenny sort of uh, mm, he'd stop and say listen this 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 line you know this should be McAllister's line he 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 built me back my part oh bless him yeah because a lot of actors aren't quite that selfless shall we say no but the, every actor that i've ever worked with has been you know I've, I've never never had you know uh, a, well a, one dud which will yeah. but but uh, you know I've never had a problem with other actors and and what impressed me more than anything coming and working in England was the work ethic because there is a work ethic in Canada and probably in the States but it's nothing nothing like the work ethic in England, actors in England. I mean, you're, you know, I've done five, five, six months runs in the West End, and even a week before you close, you know, you're walking off, and you, you know, when you when you do that thing to the left, can you take a little step? Let's just try it, you know, let's step further. You're working, working right to the end. Why do you think that is? Because, because. Uh, it's required, and uh, that's the way they—that's the way they learn. I'm sure at drama school or whatever. Because I didn't—I—I I, I did some drama school on scholarship uh, in Canada, but it's—it's uh, uh, just—just their 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 intense interest in the character they're playing and the reaction, which is which is what acting is about, and they—they uh, they just are in love with doing what they do. That's, that's my, <laughs> that's what I think anyway. And you must have found yourself um, inhabiting quite a useful niche for directors and casting directors in that you are, uh, you know, you are a genuine accented person, although there are 
differences between the Canadian and the American accent, of course, but um, to, to, to an English ear and to an English production, there's an authenticity. Right. And there must have been a sort of bevy of you guys like you and Paul Max. Oh, there was, there, was, there was quite a number, and then and it grew and grew and grew. But, you know, I, I got in... I became almost friends with uh, casting directors, some casting directors, Jimmy Liggett, for one. Magical. He he did all the uh, all of Stanley's casting, and I he he got me about five or six jobs. Mm-hmm. And the heads at uh, Thames and various things. One of them phoned me up one day. She said, "What are you doing today?" <laughs> oh, I said, "I don't." Well, can you come down? We we've got a. They were doing Little Roy Fauntleroy, and. Uh, and so we've got a kid here. You want to? We want you to see if you can get him to talk American, and because it, it's an American play. And um, so I went down, and and it was it, it was just like chums, you know. <laughs> there were a number of them, and uh, you know, he he didn't work out. And I said, I also said, you know, what what am I playing? Oh, don't worry about. They never did the. Production, but, <laughs> but anyway, it it, it, it was it was. Uh, I mean, it's it's hard to explain. But you, I, I when I first went over, when I first started writing letters, I wrote a hundred letters by hand, sent them to casting directors and things like that. I got two replies, but. In the years to come, it paid off because, oh, you, God, I, you, I, you, you wrote me a letter once, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that, that so kind they, of thing. They, they knew who you were, that you had an in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't get anywhere with the, uh, there was a Canadian head of, head of ITV or something, something like that. Uh, and I never did get to meet him, and I, I, I rarely met the, uh, there was a number of Canadian directors. Yes, there was Sidney Newman. Um, is it Sidney Newman you mean? Sidney, Sidney Newman, BBC yeah. drama, yes. Yeah, well, he, he came from Vancouver. Yeah. I worked with him in Vancouver. But not in the UK. <laughs> ah. On radio, yeah. But well, not he, in the UK. He came up with the idea for Doctor Who, so... So, uh, so tangentially, you worked. You worked because How of him. How about that? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it was his idea. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Ted Kotcheff was. Uh, oh, Ted! Yeah. Well, I met Ted, but he never used me. You know. How funny. There was another one. We did. We did a play. Play at the BBC. Oh God, I can't remember his name, but it was a wonderful play about. Mm-hmm. The Call of Focus, and it was a, a play about a man who got glasses and suddenly looked Jewish. Oh, interesting. And, uh, you oh, know, and, ha- and then how people treated him differently. Oh, very. Interesting. That's very. a nice idea. He finally killed himself, you know. But, My goodness. But just for a pair of glasses. That's interesting. <laughs> That's a great idea. It was a great, great script. And it was a Canadian director, that. And... Uh, I never, uh, I, I didn't see him after that, but I got, I got some great parts and, and repeats. That's, no, I'm not talking about the money. I'm talking about call back for another job sure. by the same director. This yeah. has happened to me a lot. And that was Stanley as well, you know, because 
after we did Strange Love, he uh, suddenly my agent started getting, uh, you know, what is the what is the name? Uh, will you be available in oh, November? availability checks? Yeah, yeah. Huh? yeah availability. Checks. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And uh, he, you know, weekly availability checks for four months, you know, four months on, and uh, that was. Uh, that was for 2001, of course, and and so I went out to meet him at, uh, you know, when he came over, because he was living in the States at that time. Mm -hmm. When he came over, he uh, invited me out, and then the publicity people got after me and said, you know, when the Canadian contingent comes over, it will be, uh, you know, we'll get you, get you out. And, and uh, had a great chat with Stanley and uh, all that, and then a week before, the uh, contracts, they uh, decided that there couldn't be, couldn't be four people on the Jupiter rocket, only two, and I was number three. <laughs> oh. And what hurt the most, well, it, it, you know, you, you, sh you slough it off, but what hurt the most was as I was doing another part that Sammy gave me, it kept uh, getting me into the still theater. You know, and snapping away, and I said, "You guys are wasting your time." No, no, this is what we have to do. You know, and and uh, so I didn't get to meet the, the Canadian contingent. And I and 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 yet they got all these. You know, wasted a whole bunch of film. <laughs> Taking shots of you. <laughs> but um, Doctor Strangelove was a much more uh, uh, a significant uh, oh. co contribution for the nice nice part for you in that. So how, oh. how did that come about, and what are your memories of? doing that landmark film. And also, as somebody whose name is always spelt wrong, why did they spell your name wrong? <laughs> the publicity agent, the publicity guy was, uh, and I've got some good stories about this as well, but the publicity guy was, well, what do you call those things in, in the, uh, in, in, in jackets, he was a wristle. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, he just, you know, he just didn't do his job right. But there's a story about that. But how I got the job? Well, Jimmy Liggett put me up for it. And I met Stanley, so, you know, fine. But before, because there's a difference between the Canadian and American, as you mm. And I had worked hard on, on, on the difference. He said, I need to see you do something in American. So we were. So he was down at Shepparton, so Jimmy and I drove down to Shepparton. At that time, he was going, coming back to London, because he said, I have to do Peter Sellers' wigs at Wig Creations. So, um, so we went back to London through Wig Creations. And you know how big the, uh, the little booths are. Well, there's Stanley's and sitting near the mirrors, and there's a big chair here, and. He said, well, do something for us. And I said, okay. And I told him <laughs> something I did. And the glass menagerie uh, scene. And, and uh, so I stood up and I said, do you mind if I move around a little bit? <laughs> which, which cracked them up because there was nowhere to move. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I did, uh, I did it. And he said, that's fine, you're hard. <laughs> you know, wow. bang, you wow. know. And uh, he had... One thing when, when we, uh, you know, when we, well, the first day, 
Jim, Jim Jones and I went, he, we were, got all done up in our stuff, and then he said, come to Stanley's office. So we went there. We spent the whole morning there, because he had an idea at that time of, at the end of the world, being, you know, instant takes of all the famous people, all the famous people we could think of. So we sat around with Terry Southern, you know, and, and, and Stanley, and batted around that idea. And Jim had come with, uh, you know, his uh, a folder with all of, you know, his mood changes and everything like that. And, and I put a pencil mark around, <laughs> around mine because I, although I, I, I just deduced that this wasn't going to be the script. And that, the first thing Stanley said, well, you know, the, 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 the script we gave you, it, it means nothing. I mean, we, we will be, you know, coming up with it. Well, the, fa the look on Jim's face was unbelievable because he'd worked hard, you know. <laughs> anyway, we became the closest friends and, uh, and it, was, it was just a delight. Stanley said, oh, this is, you guys are Pan Am. You know, Pan Am was the big airline in those days. You know, you're Pan Am pilots and navigators and everything like that. He said, that's how way I want it played. Just business as usual. You know. And that's how it came out. And that's why it looks so good. Because it's a sort of plausible counterpoint to all the madness that's, <laughs> yeah, that's going on around. Exactly. You know, talking about rate of fuel loss and very well, we won't be able to make it, but that's fine, we can make it. <laughs> Just doing our job. And, and uh, the best bit of direction I've ever had. I mean, any of us had ever ever had in the in, because it was so succinct, you know. And as long as you did your very best, uh, it was uh, at one point Stanley was scratching his head and he hang on just a while. He came back about five minutes later, ten minutes later, with a full sheet of dialogue, handed it to me. We shoot in five minutes. <laughs> He knew what he wanted. Yeah. I mean, he wanted a little crack in the armor, in the Pan Am, just a little crack. Because it was just, a, a, you know, going around the dials and everything like that. But that's, you know. The fact that you've been given it so close to shooting meant that you had a slight vulnerability about it. Well, you, you know, just, uh, yeah. And, and uh, trying to hold it together and, and all that, that's what he wanted, you know. <laughs> And I was Sweet Skyble, Lieutenant Sweet Skyble, because I was eating, eating chocolate eclairs all the time. And that day was something as well, because they, they got the best chocolate eclairs they could find, which were wonderful. And we started shooting. And, and he said, what, what I want you to do is I want you to push it and push it and push it into your mouth. When your mouth's so full, just say, sure going to be tough on the folks back home. <laughs> I mean, they, they cut all that, but I, I ate six chocolate eclairs <laughs> and uh, missed lunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, it's the old story, isn't it, about the actor that says he's in a, in a play and his friend says, it's a good play, and he goes, no, it's not a good play. This is a good part. No, it's not a good part. Is the money good? No, the money's not very good. Well, why have you taken the part? There's a practical sandwich in Act Two. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Oh, oh, the penny bonus for an actor, isn't it? <laughs> well, I've got a classic story for you about Dr. Strangelove because I went to see... I was invited to Order Street just to Columbia Studios to watch the final cut. Stanley wasn't there, but you know, so we uh, watched the final cut. And the publicity, this publicity director came in and said, "God damn, that that secretary, mind you, because she's pulling these jokes on me." She said, "There's something about some guy got some president got shot." While we were watching the movie, President Kennedy was assassinated. Bang on that time. Which is a pretty good story. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, the shock. You know, I'm, I'm a Canadian, but I was as shocked as anybody else. And several of us went over to a producer's place and just drank scotch and watched the television all night. Because mm. it, oh, what is... You know, what a shock. And, and obviously they had to uh, postpone the opening because president, you know, we had a president. In the, and uh, it caused, it caused a, a great ripple, you know. I finally saw the, the opening night. I was at the opening night and everything. But. Well, of course we forget now that, you know, nuclear war was a very real possibility. Oh, yeah. It was huge. Because of Cuba, you know, and, 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 and all that. But then the assassination, I mean, that, that just caused a huge ripples. Because he was very popular. Mm. And he was a good president. He was a ram. <laughs> but he was a damn good president, you know. Anyway, he, uh, that, that's, that story there's only a few of us know about. Yeah. And I, I, I did a, I did a, did some some work with a guy who wrote, uh, who wrote the Doctor Strange Love book, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm not sure where they put that in, but but anyway, I gave him as much as I could. Well, you know, um, it's interesting that we talked about Kennedy because do you know what happened the very day after the assassination of John F. Kennedy? First episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> and it was it was slightly late because of course the news and they repeated the first episode the following week because a lot of people had switched off their televisions because they were in shock. Oh yeah. Yeah. So first first episode of Doctor Who started the day out was the day after Kennedy's assassination. Yeah. yeah. Well the uh, the tenth planet was sixty six. Yes, yeah, so so that was three years later. Yeah. Three years yeah. later. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, I mean, it's, we've, you talked at the beginning of this about the fact that, yes, you've just you've got some things coming out. Now, a lot of actors that I speak to, you know, the profession gives them up. They give up on the profession. Uh, you're still still going strong. So what's the, what's the secret to such a long... Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and the drive to still do it, I guess. Well. well, Vancouver is, uh, is a destination. I mean, particularly now when the, the Canadian dollar is so low... <clears throat> All the Americans were shooting. Revenant was shot mostly in British Columbia, in Vancouver, in fact. And uh, so there, when I first got there, I thought I had a better chance of getting arrested than getting a work. And I got an agent, 
And then I got another agent, and I got another agent, and finally I found an agent. <laughs> a, a real agent. Good one, yeah. And uh, I started going, going to interviews and auditions. Everyone's an audition there, unfortunately. They, they give you the sides. They didn't used to do that in England. It was mostly improv, you know, but... Uh, so I get a three-page side, and I learn it, get it at 5.30, I do it the next day at 2 o'clock, and get through it, you know. They, uh, Dr. Strangelove has got me some work. <laughs> and uh, I never fail to mention... Of course, and why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Well, if, I, if it's a director's thing, because most of them, many of them are just... Uh, just uh, the director isn't there, just the casting director. Casting director, yeah. But uh, whenever there's a director there... Well, there's a story about that, too, because one of the... One of the casting directors, who thinks she's the gift from the gods, <laughs> sent out a circular to say that uh, when, when you come in, don't shake hands with, uh, with, with the director unless he asks you to, because he meets a lot of people and the bacteria and all. Hello? What? Yeah. I've got on. I've got on with uh, a couple of really good casting directors, and they send me up for everything possible. You played Abraham Lincoln. Uh, yes. Mm. Well, that was over here. Was that, oh, was that was here, was it? Yeah. That sad story in a way, but uh, they had to come all the way to England to look for a, somebody who looked like Abraham Lincoln, and they chose a Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> Difficult. The makeup, makeup guy was fantastic. I mean, I didn't need much makeup because my hair was just right at that time. He had no beard in this particular one. And uh, so he had a wart there. He, they did a little bit on the nose and just a slight sharpening of the, because they didn't, just, 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 just a prosthetic on the nose. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> when it came to, we, we were, the director was a well-known man called John Turtletaub, who is not a well-known man. I think he's the son of somebody or something because he doesn't know directing from... Anyway, that's enough of that because we, we were on second unit anyway. He'd gone back to the States. He was there for the first day and told us that well-tired, worn joke about how did you enjoy the play, and we all had to laugh. <laughs> Mrs. Lincoln. <laughs> but um, you know that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And uh, we all laughed beautifully, and, uh, but the shooting, I mean, it, yeah, yeah, I don't know if you've seen the... Don't bother if you haven't. Nas National Treasure. Is it called National Treasure? Yeah. Book, Book of Secrets. Book the of second Secrets, one. that's right. Yeah. The, the first one, I understand, was quite good. Mm -hmm. But Book of Secrets, you know, it's a story of Abraham Lincoln getting shot, and, and the story goes on from there. <clears throat> I, got a, I got a half profile. Now, what kind of a director, even, even if it's the first assistant, doesn't feature. There was no front, no, no, no nothing. Just, 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 just. And also, we did a green screen, and they, uh, they didn't tell us. 
And I assumed that we were sitting in the dress circle. Well, no, we were sitting in our on-stage box. So my, <coughs> all, all my stuff was overdone slightly, you know, looking through opera glasses <coughs> from, you know, crazy. Anyway, I'm sure the, uh, the, the uh, makeup guy must have been furious. And I was put out, basically, because, you know, it's Abraham Lincoln's story. It's a story, you know, it's when he got shot, for Christ's sake. <laughs> anyway, I got paid an enormous amount of money for it because Every, everyone who came, at first I had to go down to Shepherdon and, you know, shopper driven cars all the way and down to Shepherdon to meet the makeup guy. And then I had to go out, out you know, out to Pinewood to meet the, uh, some other guy, the hair guy, you know. And then I had to go somewhere, I was constantly going somewhere to meet somebody, and of course you're paid. For your time. Paid yeah. for that. Yeah. And I had two days on it, and, uh, <laughs> you know, that was, I, I, I was a four or five thousand quid, you know, just, just, just... <laughs> Not to be sniffed at. Yeah. Now, something that interests me is that, obviously, you're in Doctor Who, you're a TV pundit, and you're Glenn Beck. Mm. Has this ever caused any confusion with the fact that there's a notorious right-wing TV pundit called Glenn Beck? <laughs> um, I had to watch... He had a syndicated show. Mm. I couldn't believe what he was doing. And the thing is, he can't become Glenn Beck in, you know, <clears throat> IMDb or anything like that, because it's, that's my name. Mm. <laughs> One or two names, two ends. But uh, I couldn't believe what, what a terrible, horrible, right-wing, bigoted, you name, you name, he was, he's awful. And he, he started the tea party, which is, I don't know what they put in their tea, but honest to God. <laughs> <laughs> honest to God. He had 50,000 people in, in uh, the Washington Monument place, and they should none of them should have been there. And he should never look at Abraham Lincoln because uh, he's everything that he, everything that he is. Abraham Lincoln was not. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put it, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I've uh, I, I haven't had anything to do with him. People mention it, and I say I'm diametrically opposed to everything he stands for. That's my. So you're the, you're the sort of karmic balance of the Glen Beck's. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you, right. you redress the balance. Well, look, I've taken up more of your time than I said I would. So let's um, let's do the final the final two questions. Uh, you've kindly given your time. Um, so, what charity would you like the listeners to donate? Um, Doctors Without Borders. And uh, we we convened here to talk about all sorts, nominally about Doctor Who, which started. Uh, uh, 50 years ago in 1963, so 53 years ago this year, which is when you were in it. So uh, what's your message to the Doctor Who fans out there, Glenn? Keep watching. <laughs> and uh, don't forget the old boys. <laughs> <laughs> How could we? Uh, well, look, uh, we're going to have something to eat now and, uh, and do this far less formally, but for the formal part of uh, our encounter, Glenn Beck, thank you very much indeed. My pleasure, and thank you. That was great. Thank you. hope that was OK for you. That was brilliant. 
My thanks to Glenn. His charity is Doctors Without Borders, which is www.doctorswithoutborders.org. Doctors Without Borders, all one word, .org. If you can donate, uh, that would be very kind of you. Um, I'm hoping that there will be one more Who's Round before uh, the year is out. We're not sure of that yet, schedules being what they are. And the fact, I haven't recorded this one yet, but I am on a promise. But life has taught me that that doesn't always guarantee success. Um, so I might speak to you before the year is out. I won't speak to you before Christmas, however. So uh, may I say a Merry Christmas to all of you at home. And because this could be the last one of the year, I'm hoping not. But uh, I'd like to reflect on uh, some of the people who have participated in this project, who sadly also left us this year. Um, Trevor Martin, the stage doctor. Um, Jeffrey Belden, another doctor, big finish this time, and of course a legend. Uh, Peter Thomas, who was Captain Idal in The Savages. Uh, Gordon Stern, who was an early interviewer, interviewee, fantastic 90-odd Canadian actor with loads of stories, half of which I didn't record because it was an early one and I was nervous and I thought the interview should be short, otherwise, oh, I don't know. Anyway, it was a, it was a pleasure to spend some time with him. I wish I'd gone back. And uh, Royston Farrell who's a stuntman and extra, who was interviewed as part of the Havoc team. Uh, they've all sadly passed away this year, but um, they all took part in Who's Round. To start off with, we had to sort of persuade the audience that it had changed from Pertwee to me. And the way we did that was that I was made to look like Pertwee with his blonde wig and everything. And... Uh, and his costume and all the rest of it. They had two 24 carousel slides in, and, and, and they went from him to me to him to me and all that jazz. I see, yeah. And while I was let down, taking off all the, 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 the mask and, and all the rest of it, and making myself myself. There, there were two lots of savages, the ones that were running around in the jungle, laying traps to capture innocent victims, and the elders of the society. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, Ewan Solon was in it, and yeah. poor Ewan had to spend three hours in makeup. Terrific. I really thought it was good. I was quite, I was pleased with my performance anyway. The only one, the only thing that I remember is the fact that I got shot and the guy put the gun right into my gut, and then, which was very, was very amusing. He didn't quite burn me, but, uh, and he said, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, God, I didn't want to do it." I was once asked if I'd like to have fifty-two years' work unstopped, and I said to my agent on the phone. Would you repeat that? <laughs> I, I particularly remember John Pertwee. Obviously, I had a part of a uh, technician in that. And um, uh, I, I felt very sad when uh, um, John uh, passed on in uh, Connecticut in the uh, US. Um, uh, as I do with any of our colleagues and friends that pass on, I think it's, uh, it's always tragic and uh, it's a loss. Royston Farrell uh, there... Um, Iterating a sentiment that now sadly applies to him and to Trevor Martin, Peter Thomas, Geoffrey Belden and Gordon Stern. Well, happy Christmas, everybody. Thanks for listening to Who's Round throughout this year. Hopefully we'll be one more. But in the meantime, uh, may you get what you want and uh, 
Have a lovely time. Cheers. Bye-bye. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who, The Fourth Doctor Adventures. The Sons of Kaldor. Doctor? Well, well, well. Oh, it is one of the mechanical men. Yes, certainly a Kaldor robot. There are intruders in the medical unit. How many? Two life readings. What is that? Who is there? Let go! Let go of me! You must not strike the hand. Why not? There is someone on the other side! You must be silent. You're intruders. Please, please, there's no need to be afraid. Keep, keep back. Don't you realise something has gone very wrong here? If they come through that door, I will not run. I will face them. If they want to fight, they will have one. I do not want to die. Big Finish. We love stories. Did you hear a robot? Oh, that was me. Ta-ta.